Good morning. Would you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the precious gift of the Word of God. And we would pray, Lord, that you would use it today to to change me and to change us, and that you would build the kingdom of God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Perhaps one of the most famous walls ever built in our generation was the Berlin Wall. Constructed on August 13, 1961, the 25-mile-long wall was erected in the heart of a divided city of Berlin, the capital of Germany. It was, in reality, just a small part of a larger wall called the Iron Curtain. The Berlin Wall symbolized the separation of East and West within its menacing ramparts, threatening barbed wire and steel roots running down into the sewers. The wall was made up of concrete segments with a height of 11 feet and with a concrete tube on top of it. Behind that wall was an illuminated control area called the death area because refugees who escaped were shot on site before they could get away. Past that, there was a patrol track and a corridor of watchdogs and watchtowers and bunkers and then a second wall. At least 100 people we know were killed at the Berlin Wall. But millions of people rejoiced when the wall came down in 19. 89. Another famous wall is the Great Wall of China. It's, it's more than 2,000 years old, but it still remains to be one of the great wonders of the world. Stretching 4,500 miles from the mountains of Korea to the Gobi Desert, it was first built to protect an ancient Chinese empire from marauding tribes in the south. Today, the wall is a symbol of Chinese ingenuity and Chinese will. The Bible speaks of another famous wall, the Wall of Jericho. Joshua marched the people of Israel uh, around that wall seven times. They blew their horns and the wall fell down. And as the old spiritual says, Joshua fought the battle at Jericho and the wall came tumbling down. There are perhaps uh, more famous walls than these, but we have walls everywhere in life. Robert, Robert Frost wrote an interesting poem entitled Mending Wall. In the poem, he described the New England farmer's job of patching up a rock wall fence in the spring after the ravages of snow and ice had broken it down through the winter. Together, he and his neighbor, between whose properties the wall ran, patiently put that fence together stone by stone. Robert Frost was convinced that that wall was unnecessary. He opens the poem by saying, something there is that doesn't love a wall. But his neighbor had a different mind. He still believed the word that his father had told him many years before, which is at the end of the poem, which says, good fences make good neighbors. I'm not so sure that line is true, but it is a line that many people believe.
The truth is, we have walls everywhere. We all really know that. No one on earth has gone unscathed by the malicious power of a wall. Its menacing power moves the length and breadth of human existence. And so what wall is that? The Apostle Paul, in our text for today, calls it the dividing wall of hostility. This is the wall that was erected in the hearts of humanity when they rebelled against God and when they rejected God in the Garden of Eden. This is the wall that separates, the wall that fragments and isolates. This is the wall that keeps us apart from God and apart from each other. It's a wall that makes us suspicious and distrustful of each other. It kills fellowship and breeds prejudice and spreads gossip and sets loose the dogs of spiritual war. It takes many forms, but it will always remain the same fall, wall, whenever we enter it and encounter it. The dividing wall of hostility is within all of us. There is no velvet-covered wall which separates different people into different categories. We saw that last week in Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 3, when the Apostle Paul wrote, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. What we read here is that fallen humanity loves walls. The paradox in all of this is that human beings are basically relational creatures. God created us to have a relationship with him and a relationship with each other. But in reality, oftentimes, the way we relate to God and relate to each other is skewed by the dividing wall of hostility within over personal issues that makes our spiritual life and our social life on earth rather chaotic. The Word of God clearly speaks to us as to how to deal with the walls and relationships in our lives. Last week in Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, the Apostle Paul talked about God's transforming grace in our lives and how he'd saved us out of the darkness and out of the bondage of our sinfulness and brought us into a position with Jesus in glory. That's the power of the gospel, which was totally God's initiative, totally by God's grace. It is also by the power of God's grace that his transforming work in us prepares us to actively be involved in everything that God is doing. Paul wrote, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. In our text for today, we will also see that same power of transforming grace. And we will see how that grace breaks down the dividing walls of hostilities between God and between each other. In the first two verses we read, Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh 
called the uncircumcision, by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Inner text for today is broken down in three main sections, and this first section here describes the division between Jews and Gentiles. Paul tells us here that the Jews saw the Gentiles as being far off or separated from from God, from Christ. They were aliens and strangers with an emphasis here on difference. The Gentiles ate different foods. They dressed differently. They talked differently. And for the most part, the Jews could not get past those differences. Jews didn't have anything to do with Gentiles. They didn't want any Gentiles in their neighborhoods, no Gentiles in their churches. In our text, Paul tells us that the primary reference he had about all of this was the five-foot-high wall between the court of Gentiles and the court of women in the temple at Jerusalem. On this wall appeared the often-repeated inscription to Gentiles, warning them to go no deeper into the temple boundaries or they would risk losing their lives. The wall represented the prejudice, which was the burning issue between the Jews and the Gentiles. There was no love lost between these two groups of people. There was such contempt for Gentiles that the Jews had made many laws strictly against them. For example, a Jewish person could not offer aid to a Gentile woman, even if she was in childbirth and desperately needed help. To enter a Gentile house rendered a Jew ceremonially certain certain to be unclean. Marriage of a Jew to a Gentile was looked upon as equivalent of death. They actually had made special funeral services written out for the Jewish people who married a Gentile. Jews hated Gentiles. They considered Gentiles to be impure animals, in particular, just like dogs. Jesus pointed this out in Matthew 26. Excuse me, Matthew 15, 26. It's here in our text now that Paul makes a bold statement that by the power of God's transforming grace, Jesus came into the world to tear down such walls of hostility. But now in Christ, he writes, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. 
Here God's word is clear about the subject of prejudice. It says in no certain terms that prejudice is wrong in the sight of God. Yet in every society, there is always someone to be prejudiced against. What is it about human beings and human nature that makes us want to love, hate? Make no mistake about it. It was wrong for the Jews to hate the Gentiles. It's wrong to hate any people group. It's wrong for Christians and to hate Muslims and for Muslims to hate Christians. It's wrong to hate people for the color of their skin. It's wrong to hate people because they, about what they look like or where they're from or what they believe or what language they speak or what opinion they might have that is different from ours. It has been said that we don't like or we get angry at people who don't sin like we sin. The same could be said about prejudice. Prejudice is a difficult attitude to overcome because we are so good at it. Jesus spoke about this in Matthew 7 when he declared, Judge not that you not be judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use it, it will be measured to you. Now, that being said by Jesus himself, even so, you will never talk people into getting along just because they ought to. We see these things everywhere. We look in the midst of our current chaos over uh, the uh, virus invasion in our world. Dividing walls of hostility are all around us and with us and in us. How can we reconcile relationships that are broken because of the prejudice against those who hold another belief or opinion? How can we bring people together that are so self-minded that they cannot get along with people who are different from themselves? Consider Paul's position and situation in the New Testament. How could someone bring together these people who hated each other so much? They, they nurtured their hatred for hundreds of years. How can we bring together the radically different opinions and cultures of our day. It cannot be done by reasoning. It cannot be done by legislation. It cannot be done by social action. Paul reveals to us the secret of breaking down the dividing walls of our hostilities between God and between each other when he says, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both one, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Jesus is the one who breaks down the dividing wall of hostility. Here we see the power of God's transforming grace. The gospel of Jesus Christ breaks down the dividing walls of our hostilities between God and between each other. Christ has come to break down the barriers. He demolishes foundations of all the walls that divide us. When Jesus died on a cross for our sins, he also dis destroyed the wall that separated us from God and each other. We all stand as sinners before God. Our only status before God comes because of Jesus' forgiveness and acceptance of us. 
The cross of Christ is the great leveler of all humanity. Jesus' death on the cross reconciled our broken relationship with God and our broken relationships with each other. Now, the, now these are powerful words which, if properly understood, could put an end to all the walls that stand between the people, different, group, different people groups. A story is told that many years ago there was a castle on the English coast owned by a landlord, but no one currently was living in there castle. Vandals were coming in and destroying the place, so the landlord hired a contractor to build a nice rock wall around the castle. The fee was agreed upon, and the contractor began his work. But after a short time, the contractor began having trouble finding rocks for the wall, so he called the owner to complain about the situation. The owner sharply replied, I don't care where you get the rocks. I want you to build that wall. Sometime later, the owner came to see the progress of the work and found a beautiful high wall. He was so impressed with the fine work had, that the contractor had done. It was a perfect wall for his castle. But when he went through the wall, he was stunned to find that his castle was gone. The contractor explained, there were all these wonderful rocks in that run-down old castle, so I used it. This is the absurdity of us when we become so prejudiced, so opinionated, so biased, so arrogant, so full of ourselves, that we are unable to open up ourselves to the power of the transforming grace of God that can come into our lives through another human being that is also created in the image of God. We think we are protecting ourselves, but we are protecting something of our very cherished value, and so we, we build a wall. But when we build our walls, we find we have torn down everything that we value, everything within ourselves. How can we break down the walls between each other? Paul says when we are both brought to God in one body, through Christ. The truth is we can't get closer to God and be distant to those who want to be God, closer to God also. It's like a circle that's going to close nearer and nearer into the, into the center. The closer we are to God, the closer we become to other people from people groups. It's only God who can break down the dividing walls of hostility. <clears throat> When we come close to God, we become more like God. The Bible tells us we sin when we build walls between ourselves and someone else who God has created. That someone for whom Christ is died. Such sin is sin against another and against God and against ourselves. Jesus came to break down the dividing walls of hostility, not just between <clears throat> Jew and Gentile, but between all people. God intends to create one new man or one new humanity. As Paul says in Galatians 3.28, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. 
Paul continues here in our text to tell us what it means to be one in Christ Jesus. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Holy Spirit. In these words, the Apostle Paul describes the various positions and relationships we gain when, by the power of God's transforming grace, we receive Jesus' death on a cross that breaks down the dividing walls of hostilities between God and each other. It is then that we are reconciled in our broken relationship with God, in our broken relationships which are between each other. And when that happens, we are made one in Christ. Paul describes this by the different relationships and positions in metaphors. He starts out by uh, talking about our citizenship. Paul was a Roman citizen, and at times it was helpful for him to claim that. He now says our citizenship is in the kingdom of God. We're fellow citizens together. Then he switches to the metaphor of family, where he says we are members of God's household. We are all part of one same family, Jew and Gentile alike, male and female, rich or poor. All those barriers are destroyed in Christ because we are part of the very same family. Then he switches to the metaphor of the temple, where he says we are being built together with Christ as our cornerstone and with the prophets and with the apostles as foundations. When we are one in Christ, we are being built into the spiritual home, the house that God dwells, dwells in and manifests himself to the world by his spirit. Consider, though, what this means for all of us. After saving us by God's power, by his transforming grace, by making us alive together with Christ out of the, our spiritual darkness, God seats us next to himself in the glory of heaven to show the entire created universe the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. And now we read that by the power of that same transforming grace, God, through Jesus' death on a cross, breaks down the dividing walls of our dark, self-centered, prejudicial hostilities between God and between each other, reconciling, reconciling our broken relationships with God, our broken relationships with each, each other, and he makes us all one in Jesus Christ so that the world will see that manifestation of God's grace, saturated, Holy Spirit-empowered, reconciled relationship in us. The sins of pride, prejudice, and self-centeredness have marred our ability to live selflessly. It is the root of war, of conflict, of divisions in our homes, in our cities, and communities, and in our churches. But God wants to demonstrate his rescuing power 
by transforming his people into his image and restoring the relational integrity that we were created for. A relation with God, relationship with God and a relationship with each other. We were created, created for that. And in spite of our fallen, sinful nature, we have been created anew and reconciled back to God in order to fully and joyfully live out that relationship with him and with each other. Brothers and sisters, the Christian faith is not one to be lived out behind walls or in isolation. Jesus is our peace. We are one in Christ. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we bless you this day, but by the, the power of your transforming grace, you have made us alive to get forever. We bless you, Lord Jesus, that by your cross we have peace, and peace with you, and peace with each other. We praise you that by your grace and your loving kindness you have broken down every wall that divides on earth. And we ask by the power of your Holy Spirit that we would live together for that cause in perfect unity. And we are deeply thankful and immeasurably grateful for loving us so much that you sent us Jesus to be our Prince of Peace. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. <clears throat>